This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bible share the book of Acts chapter 1 if you would this morning Acts chapter 1 our theme this year is magnify Jesus we're taking a look at uh, the different ways that we can make Christ great in our life uh, and we've taken the month of March to talk about sharing our faith with other people uh, we've entitled uh, the month of March at who we call it is always reach month and the idea is that someone found you with the gospel And now it's our opportunity to find another person and share our faith with them. And so uh, I want to encourage you throughout the month of March to be thinking of just one person, only one, uh, one person that you could get together with for the purpose of sharing your faith. And so the whole purpose of Reach Month, uh, get together with at least one person for the explicit purpose of sharing the gospel. This could be uh, coffee. This could be uh, grabbing lunch together. This could be inviting someone over to your home. Uh, This could be grilling burgers with some folks uh, that live on your block. But the idea is that you'd find one person and share your faith with. Now, for some people, this can be an incredibly, incredibly daunting task, and so we've got a lot of tools and resources, uh, which we'll t- take a look at in just a moment, to help you uh, in reach month of sharing your faith. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, only one verse we're going to take a look at today, but we'll dissect it and uh, dive into it in just a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we sometimes refer to this as the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus gave final commandments before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection, Uh, And we refer to this as the Great Commission. It's the challenge to go into all the world with the gospel, the good news. And so uh, we find the Great Commission in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four gospels. And we also find it here in Acts chapter one, verse number eight. So if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, uh, I love to write in my Bible. Circle verse number eight, maybe out to the side of that, write Great Commission. This is really important stuff. Acts chapter one, verse number eight, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, again, we've given you some tools uh, that we're putting in your hands for each month this month to help you to share your faith. First of all, we have some really nice invitations to church. Inside your bulletin today, you'll find a copy of our Easter invites. Grab your bulletin and grab that really nice Easter card that you have in there. Once you have your Easter card in your hand, hold it up over your head like this. All right, good. Now, take a look at the front. This is important. Easter at Huikala, a date. This date's really important. This date, this is gonna blow your mind. We're five weeks away from Easter Sunday, okay? That's a big deal. Uh, so uh, for, for Bible-believing Christians, Easter is one of the biggest holidays on the entire calendar year because we celebrate the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is like bigger than the Super Bowl. Uh, This is bigger than the World Series. Uh, This is bigger than whatever you got going on that you think is a big deal. Uh, Bigger than the NBA Finals. Imagine that. Uh, Bigger than March Madness. Big, big, big on the calendar. Easter. uh, Because we celebrate the greatest event in all of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now flip it over on the back. 
bottom left-hand corner of your invite, you'll see two really important dates. Uh, April 10th, which is our Good Friday service where we celebrate uh, the death of Jesus Christ and we talk about what that means to us. Uh, so it's seven o'clock on uh, Good Friday, really short service. We're not gonna have a lot of songs. We're not gonna have a long uh, production or anything like that. It's gonna be about an hour in length. We're gonna sing a couple of songs. We're gonna get right into uh, the important message of why we celebrate Good Friday. And then on uh, Saturday, the 11th is not on that invitation, but we're gonna go out into our community and invite people to church and tell people about Jesus and get people uh, to know about our Easter services that are coming up. Then April the 12th, 10 a.m., we're gonna have a massive celebration here uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. And I wanna encourage every single person to not only give your invitation to someone, but find one guest to bring with you. Uh, so if it can be a friend, it can be a neighbor, it can be uh, your barista at Starbucks, doesn't matter, one person, bring them with you on Easter Sunday. Sunday. Now, this is the really, really super duper important part of the invitation that you hold in your hands. Over on the right-hand side of the invitation is what we refer to as the gospel. This tells someone how they can know for sure when they die that heaven is their home. And if somebody says to you, oh, I've already got plans on Easter Sunday, we've got a big brunch with the family that, we have, that we're going to. That Friday night, I've got a birthday party that I have to go to. Uh, I already have a church that I attend sporadically when I do go and I'm not really that interested. Then say this, on the back here is the most important thing you'll ever read in your entire life. Just take this and read it, simple as that. And what you have done by just giving an invitation and inviting them to read that, you have given someone the most important information on planet Earth, how they can know for sure their sins are forgiven and heaven is their home. Now, there's five Bible verses there. Those five Bible verses are enough of the Bible to tell someone how to be saved. And if you did nothing with a friend, then just read those verses to them. It's the most powerful thing that you could ever do for another human being. So I wanna encourage you, take these invitations. On your way out today, our ushers have rubber banded 10 invites. If you could take 10 and get them out this week, that would be huge for us. We're gonna get 7,000 of them out in the next five weeks. Uh, and we're not mailing any of these, we're putting these hand to hand, 7,000 of them this, uh, in the next five weeks. And I need your help to do that. Second tool that we've given to uh, help you in sharing your faith uh, is the book Paid in Full. Uh, the book Paid in Full uh, is a book that's on the back table. We have uh, about 100 copies of these or so. No cost to you, but here's the, the caveat. You gotta give it to somebody. Don't take five or six and put it in the glove box of your car. Take this book and pass it on to another person. You might say, I don't really, I'm not really that good at sharing my faith. Great, take one of these books and say, hey, I've got a book that's really important. If you could devote maybe an hour or so to reading this book, it will change your life. And I always tell people, uh, I, I try to make it a little bit funny when I give it to them because a lot of people say, well, I'm not really a reader. I say, this is my kind of book. It's very small. It's very thin. The words on it are fairly large. The only downside is there's no pictures in it, okay? Uh, but if you'll take this and read it, maybe you can only read a chapter a day. Uh, that would take you five, 10 minutes maybe. If you could read this book, it will absolutely change your life. Maybe you're not very good at sharing your faith and you just kind of tell your story and what happened. I always tell people at the end, hey, this book here kind of recaps what we've talked about already and kind of explains it from a different perspective. And so I'd encourage you to, to, to read this book. And so uh, I've given out personally hundreds of copies of this book. Uh, sometimes with people that I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with, sometimes folks that I don't have time uh, and are scheduled to sit down and, and give a gospel presentation, I'll give them one of these. So everyone can pass out a book. Uh, and so these are tools that you're gonna have whenever you take somebody 
somebody to lunch or take somebody to coffee or spend time with somebody, uh, you're gonna give them one of these books and give them one of our Easter invitations. Uh, the last resource that we have available to you has an expiration date on it because it's our Sharing Jesus training time. That's this Saturday morning at 9 a.m. We're gonna meet at 9 a.m. We're probably gonna wrap up around 3 p.m. We're gonna have lunch together that day. We've got childcare set aside for you if you need it. We even have a, a class that will help your children learn how to share the gospel with other people. But this is uh, about five hours or so of training that we're going to go through on how to share your faith. You're going to have opportunities to practice it. Uh, We're going to give you every single scenario that you can imagine that you can have the opportunity to share your faith with another person. And so uh, that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, There's a little RSVP card in your bulletin today. You can fill that out and drop it in the offering basket today. We'll get you signed up for that. Uh, But but let me know if you're planning on coming to that because I want to make sure we have enough materials available for you. We've got some stuff we're going to put in your hands, uh, a a notebook and uh, a New Testament and things along those lines to help you to be better equipped to share your faith. And here's the great part about all this. There's no cost whatsoever to you. The gospel is the most important work that the church does. And so we as a church are supporting this effort together. And so your tithes and offerings go to help train people with the gospel, print by printed materials to get it out to our community. Uh, Your tithes and offerings buy books like these so that we can get the gospel out because this is the number one thing that the church does. We have to be a part of the gospel message. And so we're gonna take a look at what that means and how we do that practically today. So it's the responsibility of every Christian to share their faith. Uh, Jesus says here, I need you to go and get the gospel out. As we take a look at uh, the Great Commission, Reach Month is really uh, kind of fueled by the Great Commission. Again, we talked about it. it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse number 8 that we just saw. The Great Commission is broken up really into four main parts. Go, win, baptize, teach. The first part is Go. Here Jesus says, I want you to go. And he gives specific places where the, the disciples were supposed to go. We'll talk about that in just a moment as well. But we go every single week as a, a church family collectively together at 9.30 on Saturday mornings. We go out into our community yesterday. Uh, we went out and passed out Easter invitations and tried to talk with some folks and strike up some conversations everywhere we went. But the go of the church is not limited to 9.30 on Saturday morning. You're kind of tasked to go on Monday morning at 9 a.m. wherever you go. And that's why we give you these Easter invites so that you can have something to, to give out to folks. And even when it's not Easter, we have little cards that you have that have the gospel on the back of that. But the goal of every Christian is to first and foremost to go. and We have to uh, carry out that responsibility to go. Then we want to win people to Christ. We want to tell people how they can know for sure their sins are forgiven and heaven is their home. We want to bring people to a place that they can put their faith in Jesus Christ repent of their sins, and know for sure that heaven is their home. That's our job. That's our goal. Now, at the end of the day, we couldn't save anybody if we wanted to. It's up to God and the Holy Spirit to save someone, but we want to go and present the information so that people can make an informed decision. Please understand, we are not trying to get someone to pray a magic prayer. Uh, We're not trying to get someone to uh, one, two, three, repeat after me. We're not trying to get, uh, dupe anybody into anything or trick anybody into anything. We're trying to get people to come to a place of faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And once they're one to Jesus Christ, we wanna encourage them to be baptized. Baptism is a a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of a commitment that Christians make that say, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to follow his example of being baptized so that everybody knows I'm a follower of Jesus. We baptize over to Almona Beach Park. We have a baptism service coming up on the 22nd. That's uh, two weeks from today. 
We'll have a normal 10 o'clock service over here. Then we'll head over to Alamona Beach Park uh, and baptize over there. Every single time we baptize, we have the opportunity. Sometimes folks will come over and say, hey, what are you guys doing over there? I'm glad that you asked. Uh, and it gives me the opportunity to be able to share with people the gospel. And again, because this is the most important work that we do. Even the baptism itself is a picture of what the gospel has already done. And so the baptism actually speaks to the truth of the gospel. Then here's the really important part. After people have received Jesus Christ as Savior, after they've been baptized, now it's the responsibility of us collectively as the church to teach people what Jesus said. And so this comes into the teach part. Why do we gather on a Sunday morning together? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us to, so that's a good reason. But why do we hear teaching from the Bible every Sunday? Because that's part of the teach of the Great Commission. Why do we have uh, connect groups that meet on Tuesday night, on Wednesday night, on Friday night to get together because we're teaching people what the Bible says? Why do we have a one-on-one discipleship program because we're teaching people what Jesus said? And so that is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You being here this morning and receiving teaching on what Jesus said is part of fulfilling the Great Commission together as a church. To go, win, baptize, teach, this is the mission of the church. We don't, this is really important. We don't get to choose another mission for the church. Jesus already said it. Some folks say, well, we want to be the church that, uh, you know, ends homelessness. I'm all for helping homeless people, but that cannot ever become the mission of the church. Can't do it. We want to be the church that uh, uh, ends, you know, racism in America. Hey, that's a great noble goal to have that's not the job of the church. And here's what I believe. I believe if we make the gospel the central thing, everything else takes care of itself. You know, when I realize that I'm no better than anyone else and that I'm a, a wretched, poor sinner who is without hope, and Jesus Christ saved me, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I realize that I'm no better than another person. And you know what that does? That fixes racism. That fixes classism. That fixes all the other isms that you can imagine. The gospel heals. And that's why this has to be the mission of the church. And sometimes people go, well, I don't really like the mission of this church. I think I'll find a different church. Know this. Any church that is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, this will be the mission of the church because Jesus himself said it. We don't get the opportunity to set our own mission. We don't get the opportunity to set our own agenda. Jesus calls the shots and we either obey or we disobey. And so, so again, you say, well, I don't really feel like doing the work of the Great Commission. That whole go thing, that's not really me. Your options are either obedience or disobedience, simple as that. And I wanna encourage you to obey Jesus. It's always the best way for sure. Now, the message of each month is the gospel. The gospel, uh, the word gospel that we find in the Bible comes from the Greek word euangelion, which is where we get our term evangelism. And that word literally means good news. So the gospel is good news. Why is it good news? Because it tells us that there is a God who is holy. God, everything starts with God. In the beginning, God. And so God is holy, God is righteous, God is without sin, God is loving, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is just. Everything begins with God. He is perfect and without sin. And God created man and man is sinful. So the gospel really could be summed up in God is holy, man is sinful. Man has sinned against the holy God. Uh, God set criteria and guidelines and rules that we should follow and we broke them, not once or twice. Our sin is not that one thing we did that one time when we were in college that we're ashamed of. It's not that bad decisions that you made in high school that you wish you shouldn't have done. Sin is something that is a part of our DNA. 
And if God has a standard and I want to rebel against that standard, I want to do my own thing, I want to go my own way. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have broken God's law, not once or twice, but on a continual, habitual basis. And our problem is sin. And so man has sinned against God. And the problem with sin is not just that we've sinned against God. We've alienated ourselves from God. And the fact that we cannot come to God because our sin keeps us from God. Because God is holy and without sin and we are sinful and our sin repels God. Not only that, but the Bible says because of our sin, the wages is death. We're gonna die a physical death one day, but the Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. That when you die on planet earth, you'll stand before a holy God and you'll give an account of your life. Are you ready for that? When you get to heaven, there's not gonna be, uh, like some people think, there's not gonna be St. Peter waiting at the pearly gates asking you why you should come in. There's not gonna be any scale up in heaven where God takes your good works and your bad works and puts them on a scale and weighs them out. God, you'll stand before God and the Bible says that you'll be judged according to your works. And I don't know about you, but that's a terrifying thought. The fact that God will one day judge me according to what I have done wrong. And the Bible says that if any man sin in one point of the law, he's guilty of it all. So it doesn't matter if you sin one time, which you've sinned more than once. Uh, it doesn't matter if you sinned 100,000 times. It makes you guilty before God. And God says, because of that, you must pay the price. And the price of your sin, the price of my sin is the second death. Revelation chapter 20 talks about that. Uh, it says the, the dead, small and great stood before God and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were according to their works. And any man whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. This is the second death. I just got goosebumps when I, when I said that. Because here's the thing, if your name is not written in the book of life, you'll be cast into hell for all of eternity and this is the penalty of your sin. This is terrifying, this is awful, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. Anyone who says they can't wait to get to hell does not understand what is waiting for them on the other side of eternity. Anyone who says, I'll work things out with God when I get there, we'll work out a deal when we get there, does not understand how God works. When people say, well, God will just have to judge me when I get there. God has already given you his judging criteria in his word. And he says, you've fallen short. And the penalty of your sin is hell. But here's the great news. The beautiful news of the gospel. This is why it's good news because up to this point, it's been bad. You've broken God's law. You deserve to die. You deserve to go to hell when you die. I deserve to go to hell when I die because I've sinned against God. That's what we get. But here's the good news. God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell without grace. And here's what God says. God says, sin must be paid for. Either you can pay with your life and with your eternity or someone else can pay for you. This is an attractive option. But here's the problem. I can't pay for your sin because I have my own sin that must be paid for. You couldn't pay for my sin if you wanted to because you have your own debt that you owe God. This church couldn't pay for your sin. The baptismal waters at Alamona Beach Park couldn't wash away your sins. There's not enough good things that you could do in your life 
to pay for your sins. So there must be someone who could pay for your sins that owes God nothing, that has no sin debt that must be paid. And his name is Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you are a sinner, and you are, Jesus died for you in your sins. The payment that you owed God, Jesus took it. You see, you deserve, I deserve, we collectively deserve God's punishment, God's wrath to be poured out upon us. And Jesus says, I'll take that punishment. I'll take that wrath. I'll take that death in their place. And we sometimes refer to Jesus Christ taking our place as the substitutionary atonement of Christ. I had a debt that must be paid. Jesus stood in my place, endured my punishment to pay my debt. But, here's a really important part. You have to make a decision for yourself. This is the response that must come into the gospel. God is holy, he's righteous, man is broken, God's law. Jesus died in our place, but you have to make a decision for yourself. I could not make a decision for you to accept Christ as Savior. I could not get you saved if I wanted to. You've got to make a decision for yourself. Are you going to pay for your own sin? And sometimes people go, well, I got myself into this mess. I'm going to get myself out of it. You couldn't possibly get yourself out of this mess. It's way over your head. Are you going to pay for your sin yourself, or will you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, the one who will save you from your sin? Are you willing to put your faith in Jesus and repent? The word repent means to turn away from and turn to. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm gonna say, I was wrong. I have sinned. I need forgiveness. I'm willing to put my faith in Jesus Christ as my savior. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you can be, here's a beautiful Bible word, saved. You know for sure that you're saved? I'm not talking about think so, pretty sure. You need to know that you're saved. The Bible also uses that word saved in another sense. Jesus calls it being born again. And here's what Jesus said in John chapter three. No man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Just like I was born physically, I had to be born again. There was a time, a date, a place where I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Sometimes I'll talk with folks and say, well, I've been in church my whole life. I think I'm going to heaven. Church attendance will not save you. Well, I think I've always believed in Jesus. You can't have always been born again. It'd be like saying, well, when's your birthday? Well, I've just always been. As long as I can remember, I've just always been around. No, you had to have a start date. By the same token, you must be born again. And this is not a religious experience. This is not joining our church. This is not becoming a Baptist. This is knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. And this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I am saved. I am born again. Great. Because now you get to take what you've received and pass it on to someone else. That's the Great Commission found people, find people. 
That's the whole purpose behind Reach Month. That's the whole idea behind the mission of our church. I read an article several months ago. um, And uh, again, please do not be confused. Um, I'm not saying this to be mean. I just want you to know what's out there and what's being said. And one of the reasons why Catholics aren't Christians. The Pope himself said, this is back in December of last year, Pope Francis told Christian high school students over the weekend that they should respect people of other faiths and not attempt to convert them to Christianity. People have another faith, let them be. Don't try to convert them to Christianity, insisting that we're not living in the times of the Crusades. Now, again, if you read what the Catholic Church did to the Crusades, they killed Bible-believing Christians like us. They killed Baptists, put them to death because they refused to join the Catholic Church. So be careful when you're talking with folks of other faith. They say, well, Christians have done some really bad things over the years. I would agree with that. But the Crusades was not something that Bible-believing Christians did. That's something that the Catholic Church did. And the Catholic Church during the Crusades would have put folks like you and I to death, Bible-believing Christians who held on to God's word. And so he says, because of, uh, we're not living in the time of the Crusades, don't share your faith with anybody. One of the students asked him how they should treat people of other faiths or no faith. And the Pope said, we're all the same, all children of God, and that true disciples of Jesus do not proselytize. First of all, wrong. Real disciples of Jesus do share their faith. They do evangelize. I don't like the, the word proselytize because I, th- I think maybe it's a connotation of trying to convert somebody or, or trick somebody into something or like trying to sell somebody a, a vacuum cleaner when they don't need it. I don't like that idea. I do like the term evangelize. I don't try to convert anybody. I just share the truth with people and allow them to make up their own mind. But again, let this be reason 1012 why the Catholic Church is not a true church and it's not of God and Catholics are not Christians and Christians aren't Catholics. Simple as that, not the same. We don't get lumped into the same. And again, if you wanna know why I I say that, it's not of any malice in my heart, I want you to be discerning, but I've got a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, what they believe. And I'd be willing to loan it to anybody who wants to take a look at it. And it is 100% opposed to scripture, all of it. And us as Christians, we believe the Bible. The Bible is the final authority. But the idea that someone who claims to be a Christian leader would tell people, don't share your faith with people, just let them be because we're all the children of God is an anti-biblical message. The Bible says that we are children of wrath, children of disobedience, children of the devil. We are not all the children of God according to Jesus Christ himself. So I say that to say, be very, very discerning and don't listen to garbage that says don't share your faith. Jesus said to do it, so I'm gonna follow Jesus instead. Now, as we're digging into this passage here this morning, here's what I want you to look at. The apostles asked him in verse number seven, we didn't read this, but actually verse number six, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, verse six in our passage, Acts chapter one, verse number six, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Hey, I thought you were gonna be a king. Hey, I thought you were gonna set up a government. Hey, I thought you were going to set us free. Is now the time that that happens? And Jesus says in verse number seven, he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. So they say, hey, are you gonna restore the kingdom now? And Jesus says, not yet, and don't worry about it. But here's what he did say. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, write down these thoughts this morning. First of all, the Holy Spirit gives us power. 
If there was a time in your life where you had been saved or born again, inside you resides the Holy Spirit of God. The moment that you trusted Christ as Savior, your sins were forgiven. You were no longer children of wrath, the children of disobedience who were adopted into the family of God. Your sin debt was wiped clean as if it never happened. God looked at you and saw you righteous before him and he gave you eternal life at that very moment. And then the Holy Spirit of God came and took up residence in your life immediately. You say, well, I don't ever really remember getting the Holy Spirit. If you've been saved, you receive the Holy Spirit the moment that you got saved. Again, it's, it's anti-biblical false teaching to say that you get saved over here and then you get the Holy Spirit later down the road or we gotta have a big service where we all get around you and pray and lay hands over you so that you'll get the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Paul said in the book of Romans this, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not saved. And if you're saved, you automatically have the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the two. So the day that you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus himself said he gave you power to do that. So when we share our faith, we don't go in our own power. Our own power is limited. Our own power is finite. And let me just tell you this, there's some days where I, I myself have no power whatsoever. So this idea of sharing your faith might be terrifying to you. But let me just tell you this, you're not going in your own power. The Holy Spirit is with you and he's promised to give you the power that you need to faithfully share your faith. Acts chapter four, verse number 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness and the multitude of them which believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither any of them, them that ought of the things that he possessed of it was his own but they had all things in common and with great power, the apostles gave, here's our word, witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Holy Spirit came and man, they were fired up and they had boldness to share their faith, to tell people Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He was raised from the grave of his own power on the third day and he lives victorious and reigns forevermore. And they said it with great boldness. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit was with them. Friend, let me just tell you, if you've never done it before, sitting on the table, across the table from a friend, a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, Getting ready to share your faith can be one of the most terrifying things you've ever done in your life. It was for me, and let me just tell you, sometimes it still is for me. But I'm telling you this, when you sit there preparing to just do something as simple as say, hey, I wanna give you an invitation to church. I don't know if you got plans on Easter, but I wanted to give you this. Just know this, the Holy Spirit's with you throughout that process. He's promised to, and he's promised to give you the power you need to carry it out. Next, we don't trust in our own knowledge or our own wisdom. This isn't about how smart I am. This isn't about how much of the Bible I know. Sometimes people say, well, I don't wanna share my faith because somebody might ask me a question that I don't know. That's okay. You're not relying on your own wisdom or your own knowledge of the Bible. The word of God will speak. It's also important to understand that when Jesus gives his final instructions to his followers, he says, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. And here's what he's gonna help you to do. He didn't say anything about signs, miracles, and wonders. He didn't say anything about faith healings. He didn't say anything about speaking in tongues. 
He didn't say anything about supernatural sign gifts. He said, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit and you're gonna have power like you've never had it before to be a witness. Holy Spirit's given to us to share our faith, to tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done. And I'm not relying on my own wisdom or my own power. I'm relying on the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse number 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that he shall speak and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna guide you into all truth. You don't have to worry about what you know, what you don't know. And let me just tell you, sometimes in sharing your faith, people are gonna ask you a question and you're just gonna have to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe I'll look it up. Maybe we'll do some study on it. Maybe I'll have to get back to you on that. Hey, God's given me a pastor. Maybe he has the answer to that. Maybe he doesn't, but we'll find out together. Don't let what you don't know make you fearful of what you do know. Don't let what somebody might ask you keep you from sharing what you do know about God's word because we're not trusting in our own knowledge and wisdom if you take a look at verse number eight again, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. This is critical because we're called to be witnesses. Now the term witness has been hijacked by the Jehovah's Witness. And again, Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. And again, if you think I'm just going through blasting folks today talking about who's a Christian and who's not, it's not my place to judge who's a Christian and who's not. It's not your place to judge who's a Christian or not. God's word determines who's a Christian or not. And when you say you don't believe the Bible, God's word is not true, then you are not a Christian. Simple as that. If you cannot say that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are not a Christian. If you cannot say that Jesus Christ is the son of God and is God, you are not a Christian. And these folks that I've talked about today deny those basic biblical truths. So again, the the word witness is not a bad word. Jesus himself uses it here. But we're called to be witnesses. Here's what a witness does. A witness shares the truth. That's what they do. My son, uh, Vanderlei, went to court two weeks ago, and he was called to testify in open court over a situation that he had experienced. And before we went into the uh, courtroom for him to give his testimony, a guy from the prosecutor's office came in and sat down, and I gave him a little pamphlet. I wish I'd kept the pamphlet, but I didn't. It says, rules for being a good witness. Here's what you do, here's what you don't do. The first thing they told him, you have to tell the truth. You gotta tell the truth. Whatever happened is what happened, you gotta tell the truth. Second, If they ask you a question and you don't know the answer to it, you have to say, I don't know. Don't make up something. Don't say what you think might have happened. Don't don't do anything. If they say something and you don't know, just say, I don't know. Next thing he said, I thought this was fascinating. Don't try to convince anyone of anything. All you have to do is tell what you saw, what you heard, what you experience, don't try to convince them of anything. Just tell your story of what happened to you. Next, don't tell them what you think they want you to say. 
Sometimes an attorney might ask you a question. You might think that they're trying to lead you on a certain direction and you might want to say what they you want. They think you want them to say. Don't do it. Just stick with your story. Tell what happened. You don't know. Say, I don't know. And just tell the truth. He says, okay. And I'm thinking to myself later, like, hello, Jesus has called us to be witnesses. You know what you need to do? You just need to tell your story. If you don't know, say you don't know. Stick to the facts. Don't try to lead somebody along. Don't say what you want. They, you think they want you to say. Just tell your truth. That's what it means to be a witness. You just got to tell what happened to you. Simple as that. It's not our job to convince anybody. There's been times where I shared the gospel with someone and they said, hey, I'm not really into that. That's not my thing. And I thought at the end, oh, man, I failed. I messed up. Maybe if I'd known some other Bible verses or maybe if I could have told the story a different way, maybe I could have convinced them of this. But then I realized that at the end of the day, it's not my job to convince anyone. It's just my job to present the truth. Whatever decision they make, whatever decision that they make, it's between them and the Lord at that point. I'm just called to be a witness. And here's the other thing. You might say, well, pastor, you know, what if somebody rejects the gospel? I'm gonna really help you out here or something. They're gonna reject the gospel. It is absolutely statistically impossible for you to bat a thousand and give them the gospel. Every time you share it, somebody gets it. It's never gonna happen. And you say, well, that's a really kind of a gloomy way to look at it, Pastor. I wanna be real with you. Here's, here's the thing. People came to Jesus. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell everything you got and follow me. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I can't do that. You know what Jesus said? Okay. And he went on. People rejected Christ to his face. face. Read John chapter six. Jesus had just made a massive meal for these folks on a hillside. And then he began saying things like, you've got to follow me with every fiber of your being. You've got to be so connected to me that you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people flipped out. And the Bible says, from that day forth, many went away and walked with him no more. Hey, do you think that you're better at sharing your faith than Jesus was? Do you think you're going to have a better batting average than Jesus did? Come on. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not about getting a tick mark in the back of your New Testament. It's about delivering a message. Hey, I'm just delivering the message. What you do with it, totally up to you. Hey, look, the guy that delivers a newspaper doesn't go home and fret like, I hope they read the newspaper. I hope they went all the way to the back. I mean, it just, I mean, it bothers me, you know? Newspaper, God throws a newspaper doesn't care. You know what his job is? Throw the newspaper. What they do with it's up to them. Look, you can put it in your litter box for all the newspaper God cares. Seriously. Be faithful throwing it. The message, it's the most important message in the world. I want to be faithful delivering it. And what you do with it, it's totally up to you. That's not on me. I'm going to sleep really well tonight because I know that I gave you the truth and what you do with it is totally up to you. And know this, when people reject the gospel, I know it feels personal, but it's not personal. They're not rejecting you. Jesus says, hey, look, when people reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And that's a lot bigger. And so our job is to just share the truth. A witness just shares their own experience. The woman at the well, she met Jesus Christ and she put her faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. She went back to her town and says, hey guys, you got to come. 
I met a guy who told me everything I've ever done. Is this not the Christ? Guys, you got to come. She didn't know any Bible verses. She was even confused about worship. She was just like, hey, some people worship here, some people worship there. What's the right way to worship? She didn't have it all down. She just says, hey, I know what happened to me. I know what happened in my life. So it's our job to share our experience. Jesus healed a blind man. And the Pharisees came and go, oh, you know, this guy that healed you, do you believe that he was the son of God? Do you believe that he was the Christ? Do you believe he was the Messiah? In John chapter nine, verse number 24, he says, then again, they called the man that was blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. This, this guy's not the son of God, he's a sinner. And here's what the blind man said. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. I don't know. All I know is this. I couldn't see before I met Jesus. Now I can see. That's all I know. Hey, I don't know everything about the Bible. All I know is I was once on my way to hell and Jesus saved me from my sin. That's all I know. All I know is my life was a wreck before I met Jesus and my life is still a wreck, but at least it's organized chaos now. Because I know who's in control of every single day. Hey, I don't understand everything that there is about the Bible. I'm still trying to figure it out myself, but I do know this. I no longer feel the weight of my sin because Jesus set me free. That's all I know. And you know what a witness does? They just tell their story. Here's my experience. Here's what happened to me. And let me tell you, your personal story of how you put your faith in Jesus is one of the most powerful tools you have at your disposal. And your story coupled with the word of God is everything that someone needs to be saved, to be born again. And the greatest privilege of your life can be bringing another person to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the biggest thing you'll ever do. Witness just shares their own experience. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you shall be witnesses in verse number eight unto me in both Jerusalem in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, our impact should be local and global. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't just give vague guidelines here. Hey guys, take this message everywhere. We might think that everywhere meant like this whole street. We might think that uh, take the message everywhere means, you know, take it... uh, up the road a little ways, a little bit further. Hey, take it to this group of people over here, not that group of people over there. Take it to the people that you feel comfortable with sharing with. No, no, no. He gives clear guidelines. This is a local command, the Great Commission, and it's also global as well. First, he says, I want you to take it to Jerusalem. This is our community. This is their hometown. This is these guys' base of operations. This is where these guys lived. They were from Jerusalem. That's where they were at this time. He says, I want you to start here. And so the command of the Great Commission is very clear. Start where you are. Start where you are. And let me just tell you this. You know people that I'll never meet in my entire lifetime. And you have an opportunity with the gospel that I will never have on planet Earth. But if I do my part and you do your part and all those who call themselves Christians do their parts, we could reach the world. 
Statistics tell us that 50% of the world's population has never heard the gospel one time. Not once. 50% have never heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. Never heard that story before. And we think sometimes, wow, I wonder where these people are. Maybe like a, down some river in Africa somewhere. Maybe somewhere in the jungles of Central America. Now, you know where they are at work tomorrow morning? It never ceases to amaze me when I talk to folks about the gospel. I say, hey, what do you think happens when we die? They say, well, I'm not really sure. I think maybe our spirit lives on forever somewhere. And I say this. Do you know what the Bible says? 98% of the time when I ask someone, do you know what the Bible says? They say, no. No. No idea. Well, the Bible says there's two places, heaven and hell. Yeah, I knew that. Do you know how to get to heaven? No. Great, let me share it with you. So the 50% of the unevangelized people in the world, some of them live directly across the street from this building. Some of them live next door to you. Some of them work with you. We don't have to go far to find somebody who doesn't know the gospel. Hey, I grew up in, in Kentucky, town of about 4,000 people. Everybody went to church somewhere, somewhere. This is not an exaggeration. In a town of 4,000, there are 75 Baptist churches. 75 Baptist churches in a town of 4,000 people. You know what's funny? It's like, oh, yeah, we used to go to, to church with them over at First Baptist. Oh, yeah, they went to Calvary back before. Oh, yeah, those folks over there, yeah, they went to the Baptist church over on Slick Back Road. That's a redneck name in a Slick Back Road. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knew it. Everybody heard it. Everybody went to church somewhere. But to be in a place where people don't know Jesus did you know that, that Honolulu has one of the highest concentration of, of Buddhist temples in all of the United States? My dad came to visit from Kentucky, and we drove past a massive Buddhist temple there going up to Nu'uanu. He goes, what in the world is that? It's a Buddhist temple. Good grief, that's big. Yes, it is. And we have the opportunity to impact people with the gospel. I shared the gospel with a Buddhist lady last year. She'd never heard it before. 60-something years old, steeped in Buddhism, never heard the gospel before. So we don't have to go far to find people that don't know Jesus. It's in our community. Next, he says, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea. This kind of spreads it out a little bit. This is, think of it like this. Uh, if Jerusalem was the city, Judea was the county. This is the surrounding areas around us. So if we were given this example here today, we would say, I want you to take the gospel in Honolulu and I want you to head out to all of Oahu after that. So we put the primary focus first where you are and then you spread out from there. So we don't just stop here. You might say, well, we've got friends who uh, live out in Eva Beach. Invite them to church anyways. And if they don't come to church, give them the gospel. What's well, a forty-minute run? We look. We have people drive from Makaha to come to church here. Like, and I know people on on Oahu are just like, "Oh my goodness, I live over by the university. That's so far." Come on, that's fine. Hey, look, if it's too far of a drive for you, if you die today, are you one hundred percent sure you go to heaven? 
Would you take our Easter invite? I know you're not gonna come, but at least read the back here. It's the most important thing you'll ever read in your life. Do that. I'm talking about taking it to our community. I'm talking about taking it to our surrounding areas. I have a friend in Coppola. Uh, he said, I was at the Starbucks and I went to the bathroom and somebody had left a hooey collar track in the bathroom at the Starbucks in Coppola. He said, good work. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Just being faithful with the gospel wherever we go. Next, he says, Jerusalem, Judea. Next, he says, and in Samaria. You know what Samaria is? It's the difficult places that you, maybe you feel out of place. If you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, he told his apostles, hey, while they were traveling, hey, guys, I got to stop through Samaria. And just know this, Jews didn't stop through Samaria. But he went on purpose because there was a woman who he needed to talk to. And he sits down and he says, hey, could you give me something to drink? And she says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You shouldn't even be talking to me, much less asking for a drink of water. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. But if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd be asking me for a drink. What did he do? He went to a place where he was not welcome, where the people he was talking to were even shocked that he was talking to them. Why? Because he had something important to share. In biblical times, Samaritans were, there was a lot of racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans were oftentimes part Jew and then part Gentile, and so you would hear the term used like half-breed, speaking of the Samaritans, and they were very looked down upon because they weren't considered the full children of Abraham. They were some kind of mishmash, nonsense mess. And Jesus says, no, no, that's where I want to go, on purpose. And his apostles are like, on purpose? Yeah. And what happened? An entire city came out to meet Jesus. And the Bible says that an entire city, many of them got saved. And they even asked Jesus, would you stay with us and teach us more? You know why? Because the gospel breaks down any boundaries that you and I have set up in our own socioeconomic minds. The gospel transcends everything. Look, I don't care if you make $5 million a year. You need the gospel. I don't care if your checking account is overdrawn by $500 this morning. You need the gospel. I don't care if you grew up with a nanny and a maid, and I don't care if you grew up on a sidewalk with a homeless mom. You need the gospel. It's the answer for everything in life. And it's not too simplistic to say that Jesus and the gospel fix everything. It's not. So that's why it must be our mission. We're gonna go even places where it's difficult to go, even where people might look down on us for going. And look, please understand, racism is not even remotely Christian at all. It's anti-Christian. No place for it whatsoever in the life of a Christian. And look, if I ever hear somebody who calls this place their home or even calls himself a Christian crack a racist joke or make a racist statement, I will rebuke you so quick your head will spin because I love you too much to allow you to get into that garbage. But just know this, racism is alive and well on our island. There's places where I go where people look at me and say things about me that are, are inappropriate. I even went to Pan Express the other day. This is, this is 
not, I wouldn't call this racism, but it was funny to me. The lady in front of me was an Asian lady. I go to Panda Express to ask her if she wants chopsticks. And she says, yeah, and they give her chopsticks. I go through the line. I get my orange chicken. They hand me my thing. And they hand me a plastic fork. And then the next guy behind me was a local guy. And they asked him, does he want chopsticks? And I thought, what is that? Like the, <laughs> the white guy doesn't get an opportunity. I can, I can use chopsticks, you know? And so I don't think it was blatant racism. I'm just saying that it exists. And it's nasty. It's ugly, right? Christians aren't going to get caught up in that. Look, I don't care who you are, where you're from. doesn't matter to me. You need the gospel. You need Jesus. I'm going to give it to you. And Jesus says, we're going to take it places even where we might not be comfortable, places where we might not be welcome because everybody needs to hear it. Next, he says, take it to the rest of the world and the uttermost part of the earth. I prayed since the beginning of who we call a Baptist church that God would call men and women from this place to go other places in the world to start churches for the sake of the gospel. I still continue to pray that. Our, our church needs, or I'm sorry, our island needs more Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. I'm praying that God would raise up a man and a woman out of this church to go plant a church somewhere here on our island. But until then, we're gonna continue to faithfully support missionaries who are out getting the work done. We're gonna continue to pray that God would open up opportunities for other folks to be able to be faithful with the gospel, other places. Last year, I had the opportunity to preach in Malaysia, a Muslim country, and I consider it a high, high privilege to preach the gospel in a Muslim country and see people accept Christ as Savior. That was huge, huge. But we're not gonna be content with that. We're gonna continue to pray that God would give us worldwide impact. And look, if there's three and a half, or seven billion people on planet Earth and half of them haven't heard the gospel, that's three and a half billion people that need to know Jesus. We got so much work to do. So much work. But you know what the problem is? Many churches, their mission now is, you know, sewing circles and a knitting class, and we're going to have a, uh, you know, a contemplative prayer time where we just sit in a circle and be quiet and wait to hear from God. No, no, no. We have too much work to do to sit around in a circle and wait to hear from God. God's already spoken his word. He says, go. We got to get it done. Uttermost parts of the earth, the rest of the world. <laughs> Take a look at verse number... Um, Nine, and when Jesus had spoken these things, they beheld, they looked, and he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Hey guys, what are you looking at? He's gone. And you know what these guys said in verse number 11? I love this. Quit standing around and get to work. Quit standing around and get to work because Jesus is coming back. And many times we're content with just thinking about what Jesus did for us. Oh, that was great that Jesus saved me from my sin. Good. Oh, it's great that we can be a part of a church that has an evangelism program. Good. No, no, no. Get to work. These angels said Jesus is coming back. Jesus himself said, I'm coming back. When? We don't know. Look, Jesus could come back this afternoon. Jesus could come back a thousand years from now. We don't know. We just need to be ready. Jesus says, be on the lookout because I'm coming. And I gotta be prepared that if Jesus comes back today, I'm ready. Here's the, the beautiful thing about Christ's return. I cannot wait. It's gonna be awesome. I mean, for me, my entire 
adult life that I've been walking with Jesus, I have thought about what it's going to be like the day that I get to see Jesus face to face. I mean, what will I say? Can I express enough gratitude and worship to the one who gave his life for me and gave me a purpose for living? What a day that will be. I mean, the songs that I've sung my whole life, I think about, will be culminated in that moment. The Bible says that our faith will become sight. No longer I have to think about what Jesus looks like. I'll get to see him. No longer I have to think about what I'll feel like when I see him. I'll feel that emotion. What an incredible day that's going to be. And let me just tell you, if Jesus comes back this afternoon, I am 100% ready. But, but, three and a half billion people on planet Earth are not ready for Jesus to come back this afternoon. So I can't just sit back and go, oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Oh, the look upon his face, one who saved me by his grace. And he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be while my neighbor meets Jesus Christ in wrath and judgment. I can't just sit back and go, whew, glad that I'm saved. Man, what a load off. If Jesus comes back, I'm ready. No, 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 everyone else isn't ready yet. Everyone else is standing in danger of God's wrath and judgment. Help them to get to the lifeboats before it's too late. Help them to know Jesus and be prepared for his coming before it's too late. We got far too much work to do to sit around and talk about what it's gonna be like when Jesus comes. We need to get ready for Jesus to come. And if you're ready, then help other people get ready. We don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. I read a quote um, several years ago that stuck with me. It's long, it's wordy, it's in your notes, but I think it speaks volumes. With half the world's population outside the reach of indigenous evangelism, if half the world doesn't know the gospel, and with countless other people lost in those societies that have heard the gospel, with the stresses and miseries of sickness, malnutrition, homelessness, illiteracy, ignorance, aging, addiction, crime, incarceration, neuroses, and loneliness, So the people who've never heard the gospel, but even the people who have heard and are so steeped in sin, no man or woman who feels a passion from God to make his grace known in word and deed need ever live without a fulfilling ministry for the glory of Christ and the good of this fallen world. Hey, look, if you don't have a reason to live, Jesus gives us one. If you feel like your life has no purpose, congratulations, here is your purpose. And if you feel like, I don't really have a job to do, I don't really have anything that I can accomplish in my life, congratulations, you have been deputized to take the gospel to the world. And here's the thing, you've got the answer for all of it. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And Reach Month is our one time out of 12 months that we pull over to the side and say, hey, This is a big deal. Hey, the Great Commission was a commandment, not an option. The Great Commission is not a bolt-on to our church's mission statement. It is the mission of our church. Hey, the gospel is the greatest story ever told. Have I told anybody lately? One author said it this way, the gospel's only good news if it makes it in time. Love that. Another author said this, and man, it, it, I think it burned a hole in my heart. The only thing worse than being lost is being lost when no one's looking for you. 
Think about that for a second. The only thing worse than being lost is being lost and no one's looking for you. The only thing worse than not knowing Jesus Christ as Savior is there's nobody who's looking for you to tell you either. Friends, we have a key that unlocks eternal life. You've been given it. You've received it. You've accepted it. And I grew up in a church and I was taught a way that says, you've got it. Congratulations on finding it. Now get really comfortable, sit back and relax because Jesus will come take us whenever he's good and ready. And we sat on our faith. And I never shared my faith with another human being until I was in my mid-20s because it wasn't a priority for me. I didn't care. I was saved. I didn't care about anybody else. I was actually taught that the Great Commission was actually given to the apostles to carry out. So it's actually the job of a pastor to, to do the Great Commission. Everybody else just gets to pray for the pastor while he does it. Do you know how long it would take to reach three and a half billion people if only pastors could do the job? Can you imagine how quickly we could reach three and a half billion people if every Christian took this seriously? We changed the world. Changed the world. So I'm asking you, just one person this month, just one. I'm not asking you to get 25 people over. I'm not asking you to have a, a prayer meeting every night at your house. I'm asking you for one person to share truth with. And again, I don't want, we're not looking to keep a tally of the number of people that accept Christ this month. I'd love to have a tally of how many people share their faith this month. That would be awesome. Because at the end of the day, the results aren't up to you and I, they're up to the Lord. We just have to deliver truth. The boy flicking newspapers doesn't care if people actually read the news or not. He's just getting, delivering the message. I'm asking you to take your obligation seriously this month. The most important thing in the entire world. If you're here today and there's never been a time for you where you have been saved or born again, friend, do not hit the double doors in the back until you know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. I'd love to sit down with you, have a, a guy sit down with a guy, a lady sit down with a lady, and show you from the Bible how you could know for sure heaven's your home. I'm not talking about joining our church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not going to enroll you in a class. Uh, we're not going to make you a Baptist. I want you to hear the gospel clear and be able to ask any questions that you want to ask so that you can know for sure that you are saved and born again. It's the only hope that you have. But for those of us that are saved, hey, Let's get serious about our job. One person, one month, that's it. You gotta invite in your, your bulletin today. Take it, invest it this week. You wanna grab more on your way out? Grab them, invest in this week. You wanna grab a copy of the paid in full book? Grab it, invest it this week. You say, I don't really know what I'm doing. Great, we've got training this Saturday at 9 a.m. Fill out your card, drop it off, be here, get ready, get the training that you need. What we can't do is just have excuses or just hope that somebody else gets it done. No, we're gonna take it personally now because that's the commandment we've been given. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.